Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Morning. There we go. There it is. So uh, I'm just going to jump right in. So to start this morning, uh, I want us to take a look at a scene from the movie, uh, There Will Be Blood. I know, I know. Uh, While I'm recommending this scene for this morning, I'm not recommending uh, the movie for all audiences. Uh, It's a rated R movie, but nothing in the scene uh, has anything uh, that that is problematic, at least I think, on that level. Um, I will say, I told Michael this before this morning, that I was going to throw him under the bus uh, because he recommended this scene. Um, But I really do think it fits for us this morning. Uh, I think it tells us exactly um, the opposite of what God wants for us. Uh, And the name of the oil prospector in this scene is Daniel, and he is the main character played by Daniel Day-Lewis. I want you to really focus in on his posture and what he says in this message this morning. Don't worry, it's coming. It'll be magic, believe me. All right, I think we're going to not have the MIDI this morning, but that's okay. So just to to give you a heads up, so Daniel in this movie uh, is played by Daniel Day-Lewis. And the very first line he says in this scene is, I have competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. He's just met his long-lost half-brother, long-lost half-brother. I say in air quotes because this man is impersonating his long-lost half-brother, in hopes of gaining uh, something from him, whether it be money, power, whatever that is. And Daniel, over and over again, talks about how all he wants is to get away, to get away from people. He's, he's experienced life in the midst of the Southern California oil boom of the late 19th century and early 20th century, um, and he's been corrupted by this experience. His desire for economic success and the cutthroat nature of it all. He only sees the worst in people. And he only knows the worst in himself. Greed, pride, violence, and more violence. They breed isolation. They breed a desire to get away. It's a sad reality, but a reality that I know for so many it seems so real. It seems to be the only way. And yet it's the exact opposite of what God wants for us. You see, Jesus invites us to a different reality, a reality of community. Despite difference, despite irritation, despite knowing each other's flaws. And this is juxtaposed with another, or with the line I just said from Daniel that he says, I have competition in me. 
Competition is in us. A desire for success, even at the expense of others, is in us, but it doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to define us, because a desire for community is also deep within us. We need community. Many of us know this to be filled, to be whole. We're not meant to be separate or alone. And our hope, our hope today, our hope uh, in this message and moving forward is that this church is a place that leads to interconnectedness, that leads to engagement, when the world so often tries to convince us otherwise. That's what I hope we see today. So, good morning. Sorry for the technical difficulties. My name is Matt Delano. I'm the discipleship minister here. Uh, whether you're joining us online uh, or in person, we are so glad you are here. Uh, we know, uh, I always feel honored <laughs> when I'm up here, uh, mainly because uh, there is something so good about being together. Uh, because we know from, from Scripture, we know from our life in general that we become better when we're together. And God speaks to us, I think, so much more uh, evidently at times when we're together. And so, that's my hope as we, as we move together this morning. Over the course of the last few months, uh, our student minister, Michael, uh, and I have been uh, sprinkling a sermon series uh, through, throughout that time, focusing on struggling and wrestling as a part of our Christian identity. Uh, we've looked at it specifically through the lens of Jacob of the Old Testament, a man who wrestled and struggled for his own identity, um, and, and an identity that, that wasn't just for him, it was for us too. And we'll get to that. But I want to make sure to fill in a few blanks uh, to begin with, uh, because you may be thinking, who's Jacob? Why does Jacob matter? Um, and that, that makes sense. Uh, if, if you weren't here as well uh, for these last two sermons, you can find them online at roundrockchurch.us. So I'd love for you to join us there uh, to see those sermons if, if you have time this week. Uh, but Jacob is the son of, of Isaac and Rebekah the grandson of Abraham, uh, the man who uh, God promised to uh, create a, a people out of him, God's people. And we learn most of Jacob's life in the, in the story of Genesis, chapter 25 through 36. Uh, we've uncovered this over the last few weeks. Um, Genesis is the, the first book in the Bible. It's the first book in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a beginning of sorts, uh, not just for the Hebrew people, the people of the Old Testament, but for it's our beginning. And what's most important about Jacob's life, the thing that I want you to take away is that he was a hustler. He lived his whole life, or at least half of his life, feeling gypped, chasing success, even at the cost of everyone else. And unluckily for him, Jacob was born second of miracle twins, and in this day and age, for some reason, and maybe we do it some now, but they really like to have literal meanings for their names. So Jacob is named Jacob, and that means uh, grasper of the heel. And so as Esau is coming out of the womb, the first brother, Jacob is grasping at his heel, trying to get out first. And so his name, Jacob, means supplanter, circumventer, destroyer, overthrower, um, all things that I don't necessarily think we want to be named. 
Uh, and yet, he lives exactly into this lifestyle. He steals his brother's birthright. He steals his brother's blessing. He run, lives life on the run. He even spends year after year attempting to earn his love, the love of his life as his wife, and he still continues on the run. A run that led him to a wrestling match. The wrestling match that takes place at a crossroads in every sense of the word. Jacob is on the other side of a river that he must cross to meet his brother whom he has deceived, whom he has run away from, who he's now terrified of. You see, Jacob pursued achievements and success and happiness, and now he finds himself isolated and anxious. Have you known that feeling this year? The feeling of anxiety and isolation? So Jacob only does what he knows to do. And, he, and so it says, that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and, the 11, and his 11 sons. He crossed the ford of the Jabbok, and after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. Petty play, okay? So he is like, Esau's on the other side of that river, my brother who I have not been nice to. I have treated poorly, and he sends everything that he's accrued, whether it be uh, his children, whether it be his livestock, uh, crazy amounts of things, hoping to lessen the blow of the moment when he finally sees Esau. I think he's thinking that maybe when he gets to Esau, there might be blows that come. And that night, before seeing Esau, God comes down. God comes down to Jacob all alone on the other side of the river and wrestles with Jacob for hours and hours, a God, our God, who was pursuing him. And God doesn't just meet him there. He, he wrestles with him, and he leaves a mark. And he gives him a new name. We read in Genesis 32, uh, it says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob had been running his whole life for success away from God, and finally, before he set to meet his brother, God breaks him. He breaks his pride, he breaks his selfishness, he breaks his ego, but he doesn't just leave him in it. He blesses him. He gives him a new name, and in a weird way, he corrects Jacob with a limp something he'll carry with him the rest of his life that affirms that only God is God. Because Jacob for so long has been thinking, this life is about me. It's about me living up to, to what I want, to succeed wherever I want. And that life is lonely and empty. And as Michael so eloquently, eloquently shared a few weeks ago, he leaves this match not sure, confused, uncertain about what is Esau going to do when he sees him, when he appears before him? And thankfully, Esau responds in only the way that can happen, only a way that can happen with God. We read uh, Genesis 33, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau. I imagine his terror increased when he saw that Esau was coming with 400 men. Uh, so, so he... 
Jacob divided the children among Leah and Rachel, his two uh, spouses, uh, the carriers of his children, and the two female servants he also had. And he put the female servants and their children in front, and he himself went on ahead, and he bows down before Esau seven times as he approaches his brother. But this is the key. What we hear is that Esau ran to meet Jacob. They, they embraced, and, and Esau threw his arms around him and his neck, around his neck and kissed him, and, he, and, and they wept. They wept. It was so real in that moment. The only thing that made sense to Esau was, was to embrace his brother. His brother who deceived him, who lied to him, who fled from him. He desired to engage with the community of family that he never knew. There were nieces and nephews of Jacob that Esau had never seen before. And all he cared about was the joy that was so real when he finally saw his brother again. Much like the joy that God feels when we finally come into his arms. You see, you see I, know, I know we talked about Jacob wrestling with Esau, or with, with God. But I think it's clear that Esau wrestled with God too. And it prepared him and changed him for this moment. To be together again, not without pain, not without forgetting the wrongs that had happened, but moving forward even in spite of it. And so this is where we find ourselves today. Jacob's wrestling with the Hebrews gave them an identity. At a time when they were trying to figure out who they were, God said, you are Israel. People who wrestle with God and with humans and overcome. And as our church begins a new of sorts, I think God is inviting us to this story, to this new identity as a marker for us as well. Because through Jacob, through all of the people of the Old Testament, up through Jesus, we have been linked to the promise keeper God. And that's good news. But we can't leave it there. As a church, as we wrestle as a church, we have to ask ourselves some questions, some difficult questions. Will we be a people who engage with God? Will we be a people who, like the psalmist, cry out to God in joy and praise, but also who cry out to God in lament and grief together? Will we be a people who, who engage with one another, who struggle and wrestle with one another, even in spite of our differences, in spite of our disagreements, even when we maybe disagree what's best for our church moving forward? Who, like the prophets and Jesus himself, call out injustice, speak truth, but a caveat, we do it in love. It's not easy. Will we be a people who is accountable to one another, who forgives one another, who listens to one another, who cries with one another, and who in all of that, this is the key, who in all of that refuses 
to let go of one another? Will we refuse to let go of one another? And I ask this because, y'all, separation and disengagement is not an option. When we signed up to follow Jesus, if if, if you're thinking of, of signing up to follow Jesus, I have to tell you, it means you're going to wrestle with God. It means you're going to struggle and wrestle with and for one another. And that might seem bad. That might seem strange, but it's good news. It's good news. Because we engage with others and God even when it's hard. Even when, you know, that time when you're holding on to the rope and you're like, it hurts God. (laughs) This doesn't feel good. Wouldn't letting go be easier? And we don't. We don't because this is what we signed up for. And I think Jesus has some words that, that bring life to this reality. Because Jesus has given us two commands. In Matthew 26, he, he says, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Because God has desired for us to live a life of engaging love. He desired this for Jacob, for Israel, for the nation that comes from Jacob and Israel. Now he desires it for us as the church. And Paul says something so helpful The apostle who persecuted the church, who now follows Jesus, he talks about exactly what it means to be in unity under Christ, to engage with one another. And this is is funny because he's writing a letter to a church in Galatia in the first century that is divided. They're ethnically diverse, they're, they're socioeconomically diverse, and I imagine some of them may like strawberry jelly, with peanut butter better than grape jelly. A different community of sorts. They're divided, and yet Paul believes there is a message that will bring about unity. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. And y'all, I know I've said this many times in this series, but God is in favor of wrestling. Wrestling for this. And it's not to bring about uniformity. That's too easy. That's too well managed. That strips us of who we are. God is asking for us to fight for one another because He wants us to be under one kingdom. The kingdom of God. And y'all, sometimes I wish God was in favor of stubbornness, of passive aggressiveness, of of selfishness, of, of, of winning, but He's not. God's in favor of the people that He's called us to love and wrestle with. 
Our name, just like Jacob, is no longer deceiver or supplanter or overthrower. It's Israel. A name that will identify everyone who is an heir of the promise. And y'all, we've been saying this uh, these last few months that, that, that we are Israel. We're not speaking figuratively. We're not speaking metaphorically. We're saying that we are the church. And we are Israel because we are the church. <clears throat> we don't replace Israel, but this is who we are, too. And what does that mean? It means that we are meant to engage with God and humanity as a means to bless the world. That's who we are. But we all know this. A name is good. Words are great. But will we live it out? Will we live out our identity? Because a name is important, but it doesn't matter if we don't embody it. Love doesn't matter if we don't have action that follows it up. I mean, if I was to, to tell my, my daughter who's, who's 13 months that I loved her and then I didn't show her what that looked like, what would her idea of love be? It would be empty, it would be conditional, it would be warped. And on the other side of this, we have to ask, so what if, what if, we, choose, what if we choose disengagement? What if we choose not to wrestle with God? What if instead we are people of disengagement, of, of atrophy, atrophy that accompanies unexercised relationships? People of disintegration that we break habits that bring life. What ends up happening is laid out so perfectly in the book of Hebrews. Some people think this is Paul writing to the descendants of God, the Hebrews, the people that have come from Israel as Christians, but I don't think it much matters who wrote this because I think it's a word for us. It says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one else falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. Y'all, this, this exercising, this, this engagement must happen together. It must happen with others in mind, especially in times of uncertainty, in times of crossroads. And the key is that if we engage with others, it will lead to others flourishing. And if we don't, the lame among us, including ourselves, will not be healed. We won't have life. And as we focus in on this, as we live in the midst of our own river crossing, I will say I believe that, that our church is ready to cross the river. And I think we want to be Israel. We want to be people of God who engage with God and others and who love neighbor simultaneously. 
Because wrestling with God, for one and And so for the rest of the day today, I want us to envision what that looks like. What does it mean for us to choose engagement over disengagement? And I'll tell you, it's, it's hard. It's painful. It might even be dangerous. But it's our mission to live love. And no matter how well we've done it, no matter how well uh, we will do it in the future, we must know that God is calling us into relationship with people that we don't know yet. People that don't know Jesus, people that know Jesus. But I want to share a story that's being written right now that has our church beautifully wrapped up in it. One way our church knows what it looks like to wrestle with God and with with others is is through our partnership with Voight. Voight Elementary School is a Title I school that uh, is in Round Rock, and and they don't have necessarily the resources that every other school has in our area. And so as a church, we decided, hey, let's come alongside them, let's partner with them, let's share resources, and let's just share the love of God with their students, with their teachers, and with their parents. And we've realized that this relationship is full of people that follow Jesus and people that don't follow Jesus. And yet, I would tell you for a fact that every person at that school, every person in this church, has received life through that community. I mean, we've had opportunities to support their staff through our small groups. We've had countless members who are literacy partners, who are mentors to their students. And we even have several members here who who work there full time as teachers, as staff. And one of my favorite stories that God has orchestrated in involving Voight is involves a family from our church who God called into the struggle, into the wrestle at the begin at the end of 2019. A couple that said yes to God. You see, in 2019, there was a a set of kids who attended Voight that really needed support. And so one of our own, alongside her husband and countless others at Voight, decided they were going to step up. They were going to step up and engage with these kids for the sake of their security and safety and stability. And this was regardless of how inconvenient it might be for them. They weren't worried about themselves, but were fully concerned with being advocates for these kids. And there's so much more to the story, and it, it's so wonderful and beautiful and still being written, but the best thing about it is that I think this, this couple, these kids are seeing that they believe in a God who engages with them every day. A God who loves them, and, and that doesn't mean that this hasn't been hard. It's been hard. There has been so much junk, so much hate, so much brokenness, so much pain, so much frustration, so much confusion. And yet God has reminded them, this couple and these kids that they fostered over and over again, that when you cross the river, it's hard. But you never have to do it alone. There is an entire church, an entire community of people who are here with you and who are privileged to have people willing to wade into the difficult. To come alongside and wrestle too. We need people like them. 
willing to wade in the muck because that's where loving God and loving one another makes the most sense. And church, I don't know if we, if we weren't partnering with Voight if we would have had this opportunity. But what I do know is that God created this chance. This chance for engagement, hoping that we would jump right in. And now as a church, we continue to have opportunities to speak life into this situation, to be blessed by the situation. And it's now been over a year where this couple has relentlessly parented these kids. Loved them like no one has, has loved them before, like God would have it. And what I just want to say is, is praise God for their bravery. Praise God for their open-handedness. May it inspire us. May it inspire us to do more. And you know what? As we close this morning, uh, I think the beautiful thing is that, thankfully, these opportunities abound here at Round Rock. It's been a season where much of our community engagement seems to have been stymied, but God's still using us. God's going to keep using us if we let him. He's going to use us through backpacks in the park, through Champs Camp, through Fall Festival, through uh, any countless ways that we let him. He's going to use you in your job, in your work, in your fostering, in your neighborhood, in your activities, in your friendships, in your parenting. God's going to push us into situations that are hard. So on the other side, we can say, wow, that was worth it. That's what you want for us, God. And so the question I have for us this morning to end is, where is the river we need to cross? For God and for one another, where is the river that you need to cross? Who are the people, the person that God wants you to love in spite of their flaws, in spite of how you feel about them, in spite of what you know about them? You know, I just want us to be a church that follows in the footsteps of our own, who are willing to engage in a way that this world needs, our church needs. Because as I mentioned, we're not meant to be in isolation. That leads to emptiness, that leads to hate, that leads to avoidance, that leads to prejudice against others. We need to have muscles of engagement. Remember the scene from earlier today, uh, you didn't get to see, but I told you about it. Daniel says, I want to earn enough money so I can get away from everyone. Y'all, that might seem like the best and safest option, but it's not. We must avoid disengagement at all costs. To choose the hard, the complicated, the imperfect relationships, and to not let go as God holds us steady. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for being a God who wants to be in relationship with us a God that has said yes to us time and time again, longing to be with us and for us. God, open our eyes. 
Open our hearts to places that you want us to go and people you want us to be in community with and help us to not build some space that others can't get into. Help us to be a place that is open. Help us to be a person that is open to relationships with others. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.